Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 48th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Dublin Riggs, and we are back after an unplanned absence last week. Of course, nobody plans to get sick, but uh, I certainly wouldn't have uh, done so on podcast day if I had a choice. So I apologize for the lack of show last week. Uh, I do have most of my voice back, but uh, I may have to pause the recording for some hacking sessions a little bit later on. Um, Hopefully a week off gave you a chance to catch up on some back episodes if you're behind, Jess. Or maybe just check out alwaysdrive.com where... With the capable help of my amigo Jordan, we have started posting the content of these episodes as articles in the blog. Uh, Naturally, there's way more content to these episodes than just what's in the blog entries, but it's a good way to catch up at your desk if you can't listen every week. Uh, In any case, we have a lot of stuff to get through this week, so here are your top stories. Good lord, was there a lot of Tesla news in the last few weeks. Uh, Looking at my browser as I wrote this, there were, uh, honest to God, no fewer than 16 tabs open. And unless you were living in self-imposed media detox, which I would completely understand given the current political climate, you probably heard about the biggest story, which is SpaceX's launch of the Falcon Heavy. But hold on, we've got some ground to cover before we get there. Uh, First up, a report from CNBC indicated that Tesla was having employees hand-assemble the battery packs to be used in the Model 3s, while the machines that were meant to produce them were still being built. As part of this production hell that Elon Musk keeps going on about, Tesla has apparently loaned scores of employees from uh, Gigafactory partner Panasonic, who makes the individual cells for each of the batteries. Concerns were raised that the hand assembly was pretty slapdash, which was resulting in products that were incomplete or potentially unsafe, which the company responded uh, was an allegation that was, quote, detached from reality, end quote. Unfortunately for Tesla, reality bites, and it came back to bite them later last week when Sandy Monroe, the founder of Monroe & Associates, which is a Detroit-based engineering firm that specializes in reverse engineering products like cars and planes, compared the quality of a Model 3 he was tearing apart to a Kia in the 90s. Burn! Uh, Calling out panel gaps and fit and finish issues. As well as mechanical quirks, uh, Monroe says he hasn't seen poor fitment tolerances like the Model 3 has on a car since the 1970s. In one part of the car, he was able to fit a fingernail between panel gaps, while on the other end of that same panel, his whole thumb nearly fit in. Monroe also pointed out how complex the cars were to get in and out of in case of an emergency, noting especially the fact that the rear passengers don't have mechanical door handles in the rear, only electronic uh, door pop release buttons. Uh, This could be a serious problem if an accident ignites the batteries and cuts power to the doors. Uh, Of course, it's hypothetical and and people can climb out either the trunk or the front seats, but still potentially dangerous and and these are some of the first models to come out so hopefully the company is getting these things all figured out but it's really not a great first impression to set especially when the s and the x have both had problems out of the gate 
So how did the company respond to Monroe's comments? Flamethrowers! <laughs> That's right. Elon Musk fired up the old hype machine on Instagram and announced the sale of 20,000 actual flamethrowers labeled with his boring company logo because I guess... That's the brand flamethrowers make the most sense under. Um, what they basically did here was take a Nerf blaster, cut out the Nerf darts and springs and, and Nerf bits, painted it black and white, and then insert a $50 Lincoln Electric Inferno propane torch kit, which you can buy at Home Depot for about 50 bucks, and call it a day. Oh, and they're charging $500 for the privilege of owning one. And... They're already sold out, so Elon Musk made $10 million in the span of a few hours, and, oh, goddamn, I wish I would have thought of this first, because this is some grade-A genius shit. Seriously, it, it looks badass, and sure, it's a ripoff, and sure, it's unnecessary, but it's fun. And I do admire a company that can have fun for the sake of it, even if the sake of it in this case is also the sake of distracting you from all the other bad shit going on. Um, speaking of bad shit, Elon's, the Germans are coming for you, uh, and you may need to keep one of those flamethrowers, so hang on to it. Um, Porsche announced this week that they are doubling their investment in electric vehicles to an amount nearing $7 billion, which is in addition to what they've already spent on their really sexy-looking Mission E electric sedan. Uh, some of that will go towards the hybridization and electrification of the Cayenne, Macan, Panamera, and 911 and 718 twins, but uh, much will go to future vehicle programs, and they've promised that their cars will remain focused on fun. CEO Oliver Bloom uh, recently spoke of the 70th anniversary of Porsche car sports cars, saying, At Porsche, the driving experience will always be at the forefront, but in a traffic jammer, when you park the car, the driver might want to hand over control of the vehicle. Finally, somebody gets me. <laughs> Thank you, Oliver. In addition to spending on vehicles, Porsche has committed almost a billion each to expanding their facilities and to developing uh, a charging infrastructure. But they are not the only Germans on Elon's tail. Volkswagen are busy trying to atone for their Dieselgate scandal, from which a big part of the settlement will go towards a massive charging infrastructure, uh, the size of which will rival Tesla's. Last February, Electrify America, which is the name of the initiative, announced a very adorable little 500 charger network in the first phase. Well, after signing on infrastructure company Greenlots, they've gotten a bit more ambitious. Electrify America announced that the first phase this week will actually now be 4,800 chargers, um, beginning with 2,800 level 2 chargers in America's 17 largest cities by 2019, and a further 2,000 level 3 chargers throughout 39 states thereafter. Those level 3 chargers will restore 80% of a battery's charge, uh, depending, obviously, on the battery and the battery size, of course, in about 30 minutes. Uh, Tesla, meanwhile, hopes to have 5,300 chargers by the end of this year, uh, which is a respectable tally. Um, but we, we do know how they are about keeping promises, don't we? Um, but to that point, Elon Musk kept a promise this week when he sent his Tesla Roadster into space on the Falcon Heavy rocket launched by one of his other companies, SpaceX. The launch went off pretty well and uh, successfully launched the car and its passenger, Starman, in his custom-designed spacesuit on a trajectory towards Mars. 
In a truly un-Elon-like turn of events, SpaceX actually over-delivered on his promise because the Roadster is on course to overshoot Mars and end up somewhere in the asteroid belt. Whoops. Um, and speaking of whoops, uh, yesterday, Tesla's quarterly earnings came out, uh, showed the company lost an unprecedented $675.4 million in just the three months ending in December. This is compared with losing just $121 million in the same period in 2016, which, uh, if nothing else, uh, underscores just how much the company is spending on the production of the Model 3. Um, the production hell, however, only resulted in the shipment of 2,425 Model 3s in the same quarter. Uh, it's not abnorm abnormal excuse me, for startups and tech companies to, to go for a while without posting a profit. I mean, look at Twitter. They just scored their first ever quarterly profit in, in the last part of last year. But, but Twitter's product is entirely digital. To create and make real cars is, is a completely different undertaking than building a digital platform like PayPal or anything else Musk is, is familiar with. Uh, what's critical is not just for the company, but for maintaining confidence of your investors is to show that Tesla, yeah, they're not making money right now, but we have a roadmap to get there. And if the constant production problems and quality issues continue, and if they can't ramp up to the point where they're meeting their, their goals of 2,500 units per week, Elon's going to need to sell a whole lot more flamethrowers. In one of the most bizarrely horrible stories uh, to come out of the automotive world in recent memory, news broke this week that a research group operating at the Loveless Respiratory Research Institute in Albuquerque, New Mexico, commissioned a test to prove that diesel fumes were not as dangerous as the World Health Organization indicated. The test itself uh, involved locking 10 monkeys inside a sealed room having them watch cartoons while the exhaust fumes from a Volkswagen Beetle diesel were piped in. Um, there were also rumors that a similar test was conducted on humans, though it's difficult to believe anyone would have signed up for that. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually difficult to believe this whole thing was ever thought of as a valid option by anyone with, with a brain and, and any sort of compassion. The European Research Group on Environmental Health in the Transport Sector uh, was funded by Volkswagen, BMW, and Daimler, who hoped tests would, uh, that the tests conducted would refute evidence that pointed to diesel engines' potential for harm. Uh, meanwhile, VW and several other companies were installing clever software in their cars so diesel engines could pollute more without being caught. What really gets me about this whole situation is, is the stubbornness of the whole thing. I mean, we've known for a long time that diesel emissions aren't safe, and, and the Germans, who were, who were so heavily invested in the development of diesel technology, simply couldn't accept the fact that the rest of the world wanted a cleaner way to drive their cars. The realization that diesels were bad could have been a turning point for Germany. They, they could have said, you know what, you're right. This is dangerous, and, and even though it's more efficient right now, we need to find a better way to move forward. They could have led the field in hybrid petrol powertrain development, or in electric vehicles, or in hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Instead, they found a way to make their diesel motors look cleaner, while in fact being much dirtier. 
and they locked some poor monkeys in a room and probably gave them cancer trying to prove that the rest of the world's scientific community is wrong. So what happens now? Volkswagen has set up a lobbyist as a patsy who has accepted blame despite the fact that internal emails that were leaked to the German paper Bild suggest that senior management was made aware of the details of the testing. Uh, what we get is another scandal for Volkswagen and, let's not forget, BMW and Daimler, who helped fund the research, to sweep under the rug. Does someone have Elon Musk's number? Because I think I know a few people who would like to borrow his hype machine. Oh, and much lighter news, the Super Bowl was last weekend, and it may have been one of the few occasions where the game was actually more interesting than the commercials, um, except for the Tide ads. Those were great. Um, we seem to have far fewer car commercials than usual this year, but a few featured prominently. Uh, Jeep had several ads talking about roads and going off them, and even had Dr. Ian Malcolm being chased by a T-Rex in a Jurassic Park throwback ad, which was clever but not especially impactful overall i got a, a very meh feeling from jeep hyundai had an ad where they tried to be profound by telling drivers of their vehicles at the super bowl that they helped contribute to cancer research but it ended up looking more awkward than anything else uh, toyota tried to go the funny route by uniting a bunch of unfunny holy people in a tundra to go root for the same football team as some sort of God squad. I guess they were trying to walk the line between a profound look at us all being together as one despite our differences and funny buddy comedy, but it just fell flat into Boring Town. Um, but Boring Town was anywhere but where Ram went after their ad aired. Uh, Fiat Chrysler's truck brand's commercial focused on service and utilized a portion of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Drum Major Instinct sermon. The backlash was swift and ruthless, calling the ad exploitative and out of step with the legacy of Dr. King. There's actually some great irony in the fact that later on in the same sermon, Dr. King warns parishioners of the dangers of advertising and capitalism and how the man will try to sell you expensive cars you don't need. Conveniently, that bit was not included in the selected audio for the commercial, which showed clips of Ram owners presumably using their trucks to give back to their communities. Um, there's an old saying in PR that any press is good press, and while Dodge, Ram, and Fiat Chrysler are all feeling the burn from using Dr. King's speech out of context, granted, with the blessing of the organization that sells the right to use Dr. King's speeches, which is apparently against the will of his estate and foundation— Guess what we're all talking about? The new RAM. Well, played RAM. Uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, um, German steel workers were going on strike to get the option of working 28-hour work weeks for a couple of years to take care of family members in need and some other various benefits. Um, uh, but you know who gave in? <laughs> Yep, the German unions wore down the companies and factory workers will now get the option to go part-time for a while and return to work full-time with no penalties. Lucky bastards. Um, meanwhile, back here in America, former Fiat Chrysler Automobiles Labor Relations Chief Alphonse Iacobelli accepted a plea deal for his role in siphoning off more than $4.5 million in training center funds to union and company personnel. 
The fact that he was offered a plea deal indicates the Iacobelli was ready to roll over on others who played part in paying UAW officials $1.5 million to sway union negotiations in the company's favor, rather than looking out for the workers who paid their dues to ensure the union looked out for them. So the plea deal here isn't the end. Instead, it's somewhere in the squishy middle of this scandal uh, as it starts to spiral out. The FBI has also begun asking questions about current contracts because although the companies and the union both insist that this activity was in the past, uh, officials aren't convinced. In related news, I'm thinking of starting an auto workers union. Who's in? Uh, in racing news this week, Formula E unveiled their new race cars for next year, which look a lot like a mashup of Formula One, IndyCar, and a Le Mans prototype. And it's actually all to good effect. Uh, but the changes aren't just cosmetic. The cars will be faster and have nearly twice the energy storage capacity, doubling the range, um, demonstrating the drastic evolution that's taken place in battery technology recently. Uh, the cars also feature the prototype, uh, or excuse me, protective halo that's being rolled out in Formula One cars too, uh, to protect protect the drivers. Uh, with Jaguar, Nissan, Audi, and Porsche all taking part next year in Formula E, and with the cars being faster and more aggressive than ever, this could be the turning point that makes Formula E a legitimate racing series. Or we could end up with a glorified marketing showcase that features precious little go-karts that operate on a slightly faster scale than you can do in some indoor arena near your house. Uh, meanwhile, in Formula One, the there are changes taking place uh, this year that won't be limited to the cars. Uh, following the Me Too and Time's Up movements and widespread allegations of workplace abuse, Formula One, uh, they haven't been accused of abuse, just in general, there have been abuse accusations. F1 has decided uh, it will no longer objectify women by using the pretty ones as grid girls from this season on. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean that the sexes are equal. We still don't have any female F1 drivers on the horizon, but at least it's an overdue step in the right direction. In their place will be some adorable grid kids, sort of like the ones you see walking out with professional soccer players every week. So Formula E gets faster and Formula One gets less sexy, but also cuter. I'll take it. In other kid news, a service funded by Jaguar Land Rover is enlisting Land Rover Discovery LR4s to take kids to school in Massachusetts. Uh, the service, called Shepherd, is described as Uber meets the school bus and provides parents the opportunity to book rides for their kids to one of the 70-plus partner institutions in Newton, Massachusetts. It's $17 per ride per child, regardless of distance, which sounds like a not-so-bad deal considering it's a luxury ride with a driver who faces much stricter rules to participate than any old Uber or Lyft Yahoo. Um, this type of service has been around for a few years, apparently, and I did actually see some minivans in Boston when I was there with big old yellow school bus signs and flashing red lights on the top. Uh, my immediate action reaction, of course, was, uh, sorry, Chrysler Town & Country, but you are not a school bus. Uh, turns out they, they sort of are sanctioned that way, so go figure. In any case, if you're rich and think the big old yellow fellow is uh, too pedestrian for your offspring and happen to live in Newton, Massachusetts, look up Shepard. Um, despite Buick's inability to make good commercials... Oh, it's my favorite song! Let's go get my Buick! This is such Buick music! It's cool! It's modern! It's hip and fresh! Just like Buick's! Oh, that's a Buick! 
Ugh. Um, they do actually make an interesting car now with the Regal Tour X. Um, originally, Buick only figured that the wagon uh, would account for about 30% of their sales, but based on its popularity so far, about 50% of Regal sales could be the Tour X wagon. But according to Phil Brook, Buick's U.S. Vice President of Marketing and Horrible Music Choices, its popularity all comes down to how they pitch it. Instead of calling it a wagon, Buick is all like, We are the knights who say, Crossover! Because instead of trying to change the ridiculous, dated perception that wagons are boring boats for big families, Buick, who themselves are trying to overcome dated perceptions, would rather take the easy route and just call their wagon something it is not. So while they say crossover, we'll know the truth. And so will your eyes, because that thing is glorious, and it's a wagon. I get it, Buick. Okay, so uh, remember Mitsubishi? They made the Eclipse and Lancer Evolution and Montero, and they were all cool and good. Well, now they make the Outlander and the Outlander Sport and a few old Mirages, but mostly crossovers. Turns out people are still buying them for some reason. Uh, last year, for the first time since 2007, Mitsubishi sold more than 100,000 vehicles in the U.S., with their Outlander models comprising more than two-thirds of that volume. Uh, with the upcoming Eclipse, uh, Eclipse cross-bastardization, uh, I mean crossover, um, that's likely to tick up even further and could mean six years of steadily increasing sales for a brand struggling to find relevance in a very competitive market. At the same time, in the last two weeks, Mitsubishi has also had to recall more than 368,000 vehicles for parking brakes, sunroof, stalling, and other issues. Uh, if your math needs a bit of a refresher, that's more than three times the amount of cars they sold last year, which only demonstrates the scope of the problems the brand is still going through. It's really difficult for me to really root for a brand that consistently kills off their interesting cars in favor of bland, uncompetitive crossovers, but it sounds like Mitsubishi really needs the help, uh, all the help it can get, so, so good luck, guys. Um, and even though they've killed off the good cars, Mitsubishi does have the right idea, and it, it's showing with its increased sales. Crossovers and SUVs are hot, but they're also the reason Honda has told us not to expect another S2000 Roadster, and why Nissan keeps kicking the Z can down the road, which sucks, but it's understandable. As a case in point, consider Mazda. In January, Mazda sold more CX-5 compact crossovers than every other model in their lineup combined. So that's the 3, the 6, the Miata, CX-3, CX-7, and CX-9. All of those sold fewer than the 13,463 CX-5s that sold last month alone. And for good reason. They're, they're good cars. Several of my friends own them, and so do many of my neighbors. And I feel like this is politicians like trying to say they're not racist because they have black friends. Um, but when asked by one of my friends who owns a CX-5 why I didn't consider one when I bought the GTI, uh, you may recall that I, I wanted something that felt special. In, in, in all of last year, Volkswagen sold just more than 20,000 GTIs in the U.S., and, and in one month, Mazda sold way more than half that many CX-5s. So they're not exactly special, but they are really, really good cars. For, for a compact crossover, I mean, whatever.
Uh, but Mazda's not alone here, and it's not just limited to compact crossovers either. Big SUVs are going gangbusters, so much so that Ford can't keep up with the demand for the new Lincoln Navigator. They've uh, never had to make so many, and they simply can't keep up with the number of buyers knocking down their door. And just to prove that everything is relative, so many, uh, in the case of the Lincoln Navigator, means that they sold fewer than uh, 1,300 last month, uh, which is actually on pace to be more special than the GTI. Um, then again, I don't have 72 grand to drop on a gargantuan SUV that gets 18 miles per gallon combined. Um, but where Mazda and Ford are seeing success, Fiat Chrysler is being, well, Fiat Chrysler. Turns out nobody wants or trusts that their Maserati Levante SUV will hold up to the rigors of driving. Um, demand is so low for the big, expensive, pointless SUV that their factory in Turin, Italy, will have its working hours cut by 59% until July when they'll reevaluate their life choices or at, ver at the very least their product mix. Um, autonomous vehicles uh, aren't just going to make driving easier for us, they're apparently going to make catching us when we're driving quickly even easier too. That's because this week we learned that Ford has filed a patent for an autonomous police vehicle that would be fitted with a learning brain that will know how to find good hiding spots to catch speeders and other various vehicular evildoers. Uh, fortunately, it seems like this is yet another one of those patents that is intentionally vague because the people filing it have no idea how it would work or how they might create such a machine. Again, this makes me wonder what the function of patents are other than to settle the whole, I thought of it first, legal fight. Um, but I'm comforted to know that if uh, Skynet ends up happening uh, and the robots take over, it, it's, it's not going to start in our cars. Um, as society continues to compact itself into cities, life with a vehicle becomes a little tougher. Whether it's finding a place to plug in your hybrid or just finding a flat spot to change your oil, garages are pretty useful for car owners. Yet some lucky jerks who have more money than cars might have some free garage spots sitting around unused while a gearhead is looking for a spot to get some quick wrenching done. Well, like everything else, now there's an app for that. Uh, it's called Garage Time, and it's like Airbnb for garages, where garage owners with space to spare can list their garage for an hourly rental fee to others interested in using it. Similar services with uh, DIY workshops have started cropping up in some cities, uh, but nothing quite this peer-to-peer -peer level yet. Um, I think it's a neat idea, and I could certainly spare someone my garage if they needed it, but strangers? <sighs> I have enough trouble losing hammers all by myself, thank you. Um, great news this week, and uh, believers of an impossible future, uh, you can now receive a degree in flying car engineering. Uh, that is, if you don't mind going to a school nobody has ever heard of and attending classes digitally. Uh, Udacity, I think that's how you pronounce it, is apparently an online school started by a former Stanford University professor. They already teach a self-driving uh, car program, that has attracted 50,000 students since it started in 2016. And founder Sebastian Thrun is expecting at least 10,000 students to sign up for the flying car program. Although this doesn't offer anything like a bachelor's degree, it also doesn't cost nearly as much, uh, running around $1,200 per term, and doesn't require you to take electives like Mongolian literature or intro to sub-Saharan political science. 
Uh, Thrun says that his program is intended to solve the huge shortage of engineers capable of working on such technology. But if the choices are wait a little longer for a well-engineered flying car or get one sooner, but it's been designed by somebody who paid less than three grand and took courses in his parents' basement in between Overwatch gaming sessions, I think I'll pick the former. Back when I lived in Los Angeles, I remember vividly an occasion in Malibu where I gave a valet my keys, and when sitting down at my table on the patio, definitely heard the squealing tires and unmistakable Nismo exhaust of my G35 as the asshole peeled out in my car going to park it. Uh, or I hope he was going to park it. I, I was pissed but wrote the whole thing off as some kid having fun. Um, I would have been a whole lot more pissed if he had given my keys to somebody else who simply insisted that my G35 was in fact their car without a valet ticket. Well, that's just what happened, except instead of Malibu, it was St. Petersburg, Florida, and instead of my crappy old but lovely G35, it was some lawyer's Ferrari 458 Spider. Fortunately for the attorney, police caught the would-be thief as he tried to enter a highway because he apparently didn't have his lights on and wasn't able to drive the supercar very well. When asked for a reason why he might trick a dumb valet into giving him the keys to a Ferrari, the driver said he was trying to impress his date. And nothing impresses a date more than a rap sheet, including grand theft and possession of cocaine, because of course he had cocaine. It's Florida. Uh, in other rich people news, uh, you may know that money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a highly customized Aston Martin Valkyrie. Uh, and it can also buy you an actual rock from Earth's moon. Um, apparently some entrepreneur and Instagram user with a bunch of fancy cars is having his moon rock ground into dust and used in the mix of his Valkyrie's Carrosserie Lunar Red Paint. Not that you'll probably be able to tell. It's not like the moon is just sitting up in their sky sparkling like a diamond. Uh, it's probably just going to make the paint's finish even a little more dull, but who cares? Space paint! Here are some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my whip with my head. Seems like every month or so we're getting a new vehicle from McLaren, which is definitely not a bad thing. Uh, they said that their Senna is able to beat the P1 around any track in the world, which makes sense. It should. It's faster and more expensive. Uh, but this week they took the baby McLaren, the 570S, and handed it over to McLaren Special Operations, the customization division for their road cars, who churned out the MSO-X, which is essentially a road-going version of their 570S GT4 race car. It has all the same aerodynamics, producing 220 pounds of downforce at speed, and has a fairly spartan interior that has been rendered in bare carbon fiber and includes no cup holders, but there is a place behind your seat to stow your helmet because you'll, you'll feel like you need to wear one even when you're not at a track on this thing. They're only making 10 of these things, and they're gone. Uh, totally sold out even before it was announced. And, and this is becoming a thing, which makes me think that these cars are only being announced so that... On the rare occasion a special edition is spotted in the wild, we know what it is and how rare it is so that we can be even more jealous of the car's owner than we would be if we just thought, hmm, that's a racy-looking 570S. Uh, apparently, coach-built versions of existing cars are a thing this week uh, because we also have the ridiculously named Resvani Beast Alpha X Blackbird. 
Um, uh, the last time we heard of Resvani was when they took a Jeep Wrangler and made it into a tank-inspired off-roader and tacked a shit ton of zeros onto the end of its price. Um, <clears throat> but this time they've done essentially the same thing to a Lotus Elise, but used the Lockheed Martin SR-71 Blackbird as their inspiration. Uh, they didn't just leave the aesthetic changes, though. They, this thing pumps out 700 horsepower and will hit 60 miles per hour in 2.9 seconds, all while maintaining the agile nature of the Elise and the fun wind-in-your-expensive hairpiece feeling of a target top. What's most ridiculous about this car, though, isn't the $225,000 base price. It's the fact that Resvani managed to squeeze 700 horsepower from a 2.5-liter four-cylinder. I wouldn't want to be the head gaskets on one of these things, but I dig it. This thing is way better than, than their weirdo Jeep thing. I would take one in a heartbeat. On the other end of the spectrum is the BMW-based Fister Lactiga, which... Oh! God, get it, get, get that off my screen. Get it, get it off, get it off. Oh, sorry. It's just, it, it's very, very ugly. And uh, good thing there's only one of them. Uh, Fisker really knows how to design a shit-looking car with a nasty mustache-looking grill. Um, like coach-built versions of other cars, though, it was also a really great week um, if you like vans. <laughs> Um, Mercedes unveiled their all-new third-generation Sprinter, which uh, you are free to mock right up to the point where you ride in one and think, wow, I've never been in an airport shuttle this nice. Apparently, the new Sprinters can do way more than ferry people around to the Missouri wineries. Uh, the new version is more adaptable than ever and can be had in 1,700 different variants for different purposes or needs. These things are way more common to see in Europe, but Mercedes and me are hoping these catch on stateside. It's a pretty excellent van for pretty much every need, plus it's plush and comfy. Also this week, we got a new version of the Ford Transit Connect, which is sort of like a smaller, slightly less capable, slightly less plush and comfy, but still decently plush and comfy Mercedes Sprinter. Um, outside, it's been styled to look like a Ford Escape, and inside, it's been styled to look like a cargo van with seats. But those seats apparently now have more cushioning. Uh, this this may not be the most exciting new vehicle segment ever, and honestly, we could cover the performance specs of the Ford Transit Connect, but they they don't really matter. Just know that there's a new option you can rent instead of a minivan that will do the job just as well. Meanwhile, a couple of former engineers from Google's self-driving company Waymo got together and formed a new company called Neuro. A, uh, they've developed an innovative new delivery vehicle. It's uh, completely driverless and passengerless, and instead of space for people, they have compartments that can be customized to hold any number of things, from parcel lockers to shopping bags to warming ovens or dry-cleaning clothing racks. Uh, these compartments sit above the batteries and drivetrain of the vehicles, but we don't have any details on performance or range. These are apparently designed for either fully autonomous operation or remote operation in case it runs into trouble and needs human help. The company has approval from California to test on public roads, and it hopes to have a limited number of prototypes in service by the end of the year. But this looks like it could be a great option for companies looking to replace their delivery drivers. You guys, you remember back in 2009, the financial markets were melting down and, and jobs were scarce. Pay sucked. I mean, it still kind of does. But Obama was just beginning his first term as president, and the country was filled with hope for change. And, and Nissan was there with the change that we, where we needed it the most 
and sports cars. In 2009, they introduced the 370Z to replace the 7-year-old 350Z. Now, almost 10 years later, here we are with the same 370Z and no replacement on the horizon. According to Nissan's chief planning officer, Philippe Klein, they are working on it, but they, they don't really know which direction to take it. The market for small, inexpensive sports cars is apparently down, and Nissan is facing stiff competition from the best Mustang and Camaros ever made. Uh, with SUVs and crossovers all the rage, uh, they do they pull a Mitsubishi and spit in the eye of their enthusiasts and make the Z a crossover like the Eclipse has become? Or do they try to weave in a bit of future-proofing and make it a hybrid or even an EV? Uh, but while we wait on a more permanent answer to the Z's future, Nissan has decided what the Z's present needs is more snowmobile. So they took a convertible Nissan 370Z, lopped off all four of the wheels, fitted some skis up front, and put modified tank treads in back to make the 370Z-ski. Um, the rest of the car is virtually unchanged, but if you think a rear-wheel drive car can't handle well in the snow, well, Nissan says... You guys silly? I'm still gonna send it. <laughs> Thank you for sending it, Nissan. Um, for this week's call to action, we're running a little long this week, and my throat is no longer capable of talking for more than 10 seconds without hacking up along. So just be good to one another and stop cutting me off in traffic like assholes. Uh, thank you for listening, and thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song, as usual. Um, this week, since we got a look at the future of racing with the new Formula E cars, here's the sound you can expect to hear on circuits around the world this summer. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. Thank <laughs> you.